Hello and welcome back to Real Combos with C and Veronica. I'm Veronica. I'm C. And today we are going to talk a little bit about CPS and um, what we know about it. Yeah, basically. The super fun topic of CPS and why everybody hates it. Maybe we can get to the bottom of that today. Hmm, probably not, but we'll, we'll try. <laughs> okay, so I'll start with like when I first wanted to become a foster parent, I just Googled how to become a foster parent, and then the DFPS website came up eventually, which is Department of Family and Protective Services. Um, you had to come to an orientation, and there they sort of presented you like a brief history of CPS. And we kind of wrote it down because we had to go back and look it up. But there was no agency to actually protect children until 1875. And the crazy thing is they actually had established... Um, a non-governmental agency to protect animals yeah. before children. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story of it came back with a little girl that was, they had found some lady was watching, noticing that she wasn't around and then started kind of investigating on her own and found out that this nine-year-old little girl had been tied up to a toilet. Um, so she then got in touch with Henry Bird, who is the founder of the ASPCA, Again, animals. And <laughs> his attorney, and they were trying to figure out what can we do to help. And so in 1875, um, he also co-founded with his attorney a non-governmental agency for um, some type of child protective services. Yeah. What was that little girl's name? Did you write it down? Yes. Um, her name was Mary Ellen Wilson. There you go. Yes, and so in the, my first CPS class ever, they showed pictures of this poor child and sort of the environment that she was in. Um, and unfortunately, there's still cases like that today where parents don't want to deal with their kid or they, and they put them in a dark closet or a dark room and just tie them to a toilet. So if they have to go, they're right there and they're not bothering them to go to the toilet because basic need, they'll throw food at them and then eventually they have to go to the bathroom. So um, It tends to have a, I don't think this little girl had such developmental delays but I've heard of some kids that are basically like locked in a house with no stimuli actually come out um sort of looking like mentally retarded and they can't really talk because they've never been spoken to that kind of thing and um yeah this was um side note the first time I'd ever actually heard about this like I know we've been doing foster care for a long time oh yeah but I never really looked into it I was just like okay yeah so I want to do foster care with you let's get started we started doing classes I don't remember them talking about it in any of our classes. They could have, but we've been through so many classes. It just kind of... I don't think they did for Jonathan's Place. This was when I was just through straight CPS. Yeah. Um, and then Jonathan's Place is his own private agency, as we've talked about before. And they their rules are a little different. And apparently their subject matter is a little different. I guess the DFPS was like scare tactic you into... This is what happens with no <laughs> CPS services. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was my very first introduction to CPS in general. Yes, hers, not mine. We weren't together then. Yes. So that's pretty interesting that you heard that. And also very sad. <laughs> yeah, I wish that would have been the last case and then none of this would ever have been developed at all. But there we are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so then what? After that was established, obviously, there's been multiple kind of ebbs and flows. There was orphanages at first. Now there's no orphanages. There's just foster homes. There was also group homes and they actually did away with those too. Um, at some point when you and I were fostering, so remember 
we considered taking in more kids because you're only allowed to have six in the state of Texas in your home, including your own. And if we had taken the sibling group, it would have been um, put us over by Eight. one. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I think that's right. One or two, but not eight. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyways, they would have put us over, and they were like, oh, well, they just did away with group homes, so you can't be licensed as a group home now. Um, You would have to either show us proof that you have hired somebody to stay up overnight while you guys sleep, um, Mm -hmm. if you had that many children in your home, or one of you would have to stay up all night. Um, Yeah, that was a fun conversation we had. But then they got placed with somebody else anyways, so problems Worked out, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, um, so where were we? So anyways, CPS has kind of evolved over the years and they still have a lot of work to do because we still hear of like huge failures. Um, there's a Netflix show of Gabriel Fernandez, which I cannot make myself watch because I know the child yeah, ends up being abused to death. Um, so yeah, it's not something I've been able to like make myself sit down and watch because I've seen some in person terrible stories and I don't really need any more in my brain. <laughs> Maybe yeah. one day we'll do like a review on it, but it's... It's tough. It's tough to watch. It's yeah. tough to be a part of. Anyways. I would say, like, I mean, yeah, CPS has dropped the ball quite a bit, but this is just my opinion only, but I think that, like, for me, I feel like CPS workers and teachers and, like, police officers do not get paid as much as they should for the job that they do. Yeah. And they, it's not an excuse, like, to let a child just overlook the shit that they're going through. But also, it's a pretty big one in that, you know, CPS workers, they put a lot on them. I mean, there's, we had a CPS worker that had like 50 caseloads. Like, I don't know, it's a lot for sure. Yeah. Which kind of brings us to our next point, which is who's all involved in it, in quote, CPS. Because it's multiple different disciplines of people. There's, the judge is like the overall person who just ultimately decides based on the other information he gets from these other people I'm about to list. Um, where the child ends up. Okay, there's a judge. Then there's the attorney for the biological parents. Yep. Then there's the attorney for the child. Yep. Then there's the caseworker for the child. That's the CPS worker. The CPS yes. worker. Um, there's a CASA, which is a child... Uh, it stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate, which is basically where somebody comes in and they are volunteering their time to check on the child they're there to be an advocate for the child because there are so many of these other people that are there just trying to do their job which in the state of texas texas is very family reunification so that's their job is to okay take notes on everything that's going on and then also how are the parents doing in this if they're doing well great we can look at reunifying if not we have to look at extended family members and they have to look and look and look and look until there's nowhere else that they feel like they can look. Yeah, you're kind of getting ahead of us here. Sorry. You said CASA worker and they went off on that whole thing. I did. CASA worker. Yes. Also, which we also have another interview with one of our great CASAs that we had. Uh, I think this was maybe last year. Maybe yeah. even the year before. It was last Time's year. Time's slipping away. Um, who else? There's a ad litem, mm-hmm. which I think works for the attorney. Like when the, We, I think, almost never saw our kids' attorneys, which we'll get into kind of good... And bad experiences we've had with these different people. But, um, yeah, so there's a... So I'm going to go through this one more time just because I know I probably <laughs> And then there's foster everyone. parents. So we have judge, attorney, attorney ad litem, CASA worker, attorney that's for the bio parents, a CPS worker for the whole case, and then the foster parents have what's called their own fad worker. 
Um, and for us, we had a fad worker, but they just called him our case manager when we were with Jonathan's place. Yes, but our case manager or fad worker is the only one that doesn't report in mm-hmm. court. They are just here to like kind of make sure we're doing a good job and they check up on our house. And if we have any problems with the CPS caseworker, we're supposed to call our caseworker and not ring the CPS. Yeah, case if you're through an agency. Um, we have friends that are going specifically through CPS and they report to that worker. Yeah, I wish you're weird. I think you're supposed to do, but we were uh, on at least our last five or six cases. We were closer to the CPS worker, um, so we could actually call that one up directly. Okay, and so it's pretty easy or pretty fair to say that we've had good experiences and bad experiences with pretty much all of those people. Like we've had good and bad caseworkers, we've had good and bad casas, all the way up to judge. Yeah. Right. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's unfortunate, but yes. <laughs> it's for- unfortunate on the bad, but the good were, you know, did a great job and made the case go as smooth as it can possibly go. I mean, I think, I mean, for us, I felt like it always helped us when we were um, pretty compliant with things. Like, we didn't make it difficult because we knew from day one what our place was in this. And that is to be long-term babysitters. Like, we don't get a say in stuff. You know, we they understood that we have schedules, but we always tried to make it work when they needed stuff. And I feel like that helped us majority of the time with our cases and our kids. Like, yeah, just that we were so cooperative. They loved us so much. Like, and the thing is that usually CPS is on a different side than everyone else of what's going on. We just said all those are CPS, so which person? They are, but, like, I'm sorry, the CPS worker primarily is usually always, like, on a different, um, or viewing things differently than everyone else. Um, so we always tried to work really hard to maintain relationships with those CPS workers. Yeah, it does sometimes seem that the CPS worker and the CASA worker are on a different page. Mm-hmm. Um, Even the attorneys, like, yeah. we well, have one case where... CASA reports to the attorney, right? They do. So. So, like, CASA drives but attorney. Because always... the attorney almost never came to see the kids. Yeah, that's the CASA thing, CASA came every month and then reported to the attorneys. They did. So, attorney but still, attorney would, like, make up their own judgment based on that. And some of it was, like, far left. Like, not even what CASA probably reported because of what they told us. And attorney's like, yeah, no, they're good. Let's send them back. Yeah. I think we actually never had a case that the kids went right back to the parents. We had a lot of place with family members or um, place in a different foster uh, family with other siblings or something yeah. like that. So, or, or kinship. Yeah, or a fictive kin, which is somebody who, like, parent can say, oh, I have a really good friend of the family that is has everything together. They could take care of them. So when somebody is not related to the child, they call them fictive kin. And if they are related in some way, it's kinship. Yes. Yes, so we've had good and bad experiences with all those different people. I mean, just like any other job, there's you're going to find people that work hard and do a great job, and you're going to find people that are burnt out and kind of don't want to do it anymore. Sure. And you're going to find people that do it for you don't have any idea why they're doing it because yeah. they're doing a terrible job, and you know they're not getting paid that much. So what's the point? Yeah. Um, so it's uh, you never know what you're going to get, like Forrest Gump says. <laughs> When yeah. you when you get a new kid in your house, because you're you're getting all of those people coming through your house and kind of uh, coming in and visiting the kid all the time and working on the case. Also, I will say that 
our fad worker or our own caseworker from either Jonathan's place or when we were when I was with CPS, um, the fad worker, they're the only ones that think of the foster family as like a loving family. The entire other <laughs> group of people in CPS do not care about the foster family. They're just they like, don't. okay, they're just babysitting the kid. Um, but our job is to fall in love with the kid and treat them like a member of our family and like try to make it as least as traumatic as you can. Like, you know, make it a family environment. Maybe have them walk away with an experience that they may not have otherwise had, like yeah. playing baseball or having presents at Christmas. You know, you never know. So anyways, that was a little side note. <laughs> um, and then kind of how we navigate a case when it kind of from start to finish. And I'll try to extrapolate on how a biological parent is supposed to navigate the case as well. But, you know, I've never had my kids removed, so it's kind of just watching from the other side of the fence. So if anyone's watching this, if anyone's listening to this that has had their kids removed by CPS and has a different opinion, I sincerely apologize. It's just my own viewpoint of watching the biological family. So when the kids are initially removed there's been some kind of threatening environment we assume because you know we don't have any like say so on who gets removed and when yeah um i mean honestly too even again sometimes they remove them when they shouldn't have or they remove them they don't remove them when they really should have so i mean nobody knows what's going on when that happens yeah we have no idea why they decide and when to remove children, but you know that's the point where foster parents get involved, obviously. And we also we don't even get that we're not even like privy to that information either. Most of the time, they're like, "Uh, I'm not sure why they got removed. I know the child's this age. This is their race. I know this much about them. I know nothing else." Yeah, that's like, like the investigator part. So I guess like when a CPS get a case gets called in, let's say like a teacher is noticing bruises on little Timmy's face all the time. Then CPS investigates, and then they have to actually... That person is the one that decides to remove them. I think that's how it goes. And so the investigator is the one, I guess, that starts with them. We didn't name them to begin with because they're usually not involved the whole time. They're just involved in the beginning. They investigate to see if it's worthy of removing the child. And if so, then once they're placed in a home, they get passed on to an actual CPS worker. Investigator is no longer involved. I think they're involved if, like, the case goes to, like, a... Is it a jury or something? Like, David and Rennie's case had to, like, drag on and on and on, and they actually went and had, like, a I guess whole... if they have to call people in, yeah. Yeah, I guess I mean, they they're can. involved in that manner, but not really, like, day-to-day stuff. Yeah, you're right, Jace. But, yeah, hey. I think they bring them back in at the end if they have to, like, actually go through, like, a jury case mm-hmm. with the parents. Because they won't relinquish, and the court wants them to relinquish, and in order to, like, terminate against the will of the biological parents. Which I think is, like, the very last... Um, anyway, so like Veronica touched on before, the goal of CPS is family reunification, okay? So if you're going to be a foster parent, you have to sort of have that in mind. Like, the chances of you getting to adopt the kid are very, very slim. Very slim. I was going to say to none, but we have five, so <laughs> not none. We have four that were out of foster yeah. care. <laughs> yeah. But still, I mean, that's a lot for, yes, I think, what most people... Children think it's going to happen when a child is in foster care they're like oh yeah they usually go back I mean we have so many people that we like started classes with and they only had like they've only adopted one child you know I think I don't know for whatever reason if it's that we were very fortunate but also at the same time 
it's very sad for our kids because they lose that bio family. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have four. So, again, I don't think most people get that. Although, you know. Well, I mean, a lot of. We there's have, one family that we know of that has like 17, 18, kids, yeah. <laughs> adopted out of foster care. So, I don't even know how that's possible. But money, <laughs> I guess. Because we don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so a kid gets removed. And then they set like a set of stipulations they want the biological family to adhere by in order to get the kids back, right? Yeah. So kids are moved, and they have to have a visit that week with the Usually bio within family. the first two weeks, I believe. Yes, because CPS is not in the business of just taking kids from poor families and giving them to rich families who can, quote-unquote, give them a better life. Like, I'm a firm believer that poverty is not a reason to remove a child. Like, there are social systems in place, Section 8, food stamps, in order to be able to give kids their basic needs, like food yeah. and shelter, clothing... Uh, education there's public schools there's public buses like we should be able to with the public systems in place be able to give our kids basic like human rights and then they should be able to stay with their biological family and have that tie if those are being met yeah for sure <laughs> okay just because agreed a, a group of people has more money does not make them better parents um it actually could make them much worse parents <laughs> again we have a we know of a case for that too yeah, so for sure for sure Okay, so the kids are removed. They have to have a visit pretty quick afterwards. So CPS is kind of like, hey, we took your children, but they're not gone forever who they are. And so the kids are like, well, we're never going to see our family again. So they try to get that first visit in like within the first couple of days of removal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they establish weekly visits for the parents. The parents have to do their visits. If it was a drug-related thing, they have to submit, you know, like urine tests every... Not always. It just depends. So often. It, it depends really on what the caseworker thinks after having read everything from the investigation. And again, this is just based on our experiences, like, and what we've seen is that... Well, they'll pull, like, hair follicles from the kids, too, to see if they've been involved They will, but drugs. even if they have, like, again, we have lots of stories, so <laughs> some kids that were heavily involved with drugs still had visits, and they didn't make the parent test before every time. They made him do random drug tests, but it wasn't before every visit. Um, so, you know, again, it's just different with every case. And that is also based on what the CPS worker thinks should be done, but also has to have that approved by the judge. Yeah. They go before the judge and they're like, hey, this is what we've noticed. This is what we think we should do. The judge says, okay, signs off or no, that's not going to work. You keep letting that parent go or whatever. Yeah, ultimately, the judge is like, yay or nay, but the CPS worker tries to put some kind of plan in place, whether it be get a job, have a house, stay mm-hmm. clean. And your management classes, like, whatever it is. Yeah, it could be a very, depending on why the kids are in a, yes. AA, yeah, <laughs> all those things. And I've heard from biological parents that it seems, like, impossible to get your kids back once they've been removed. And I think one even said to Veronica, like, I heard that CPS gets a bonus every time they adopt a kid out to a foster family. <laughs> you remember that? Vaguely. <laughs> I don't remember which parent it was. I do. I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> but um, So from the biological parent's side, it, they seem like they don't believe in the system that it's going to let them have their kids back. Yeah. On our side of the fence, it seems like we way too easy the, yeah, we for don't the, in the system. For the parents to get their kids back. Like, it's so clear to us, and usually to either CASA or CPS, that the bio parent or parents are putting, like, this band-aid on their situation. Like, okay, I'll go to this meeting, or, oh, I can't go to the drug test, they're closed. Like, 
I mm-hmm. hate excuses. If you want your kids back, if, if they took my kids today, I would be doing every fucking thing they said until I got them back. Like, you need to have a drug test every Tuesday at 9? Okay, I take off work, I'll be there at 9. But, you know, I am a little more privileged than somebody who doesn't have money to have a car to go to that drug test. So, you know, who knows? But so a lot of parents will make excuses. I can't get a drug test because of this. I don't have a ride, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We hear a lot of excuses of why they can't do the plan that's been put in place um, for the kids. And the, the visits, the bio parents will tend to, uh, I don't know, let's just say lie, I guess. is <laughs> the only word I can think about how quickly they'll be getting the kids back. and. Oh, yeah, they'll be telling the kids the lies. Yeah, yeah I got gotcha. you. Like, what they're doing. Like, oh, we're building a house. So it'll be ready in three weeks. Yes. We heard that on a couple of them. They're like, yeah, they're on step 12. And I'm like, and they're asking me, like, is that true? And I'm like, do you want me to lie to you or tell you the <laughs> truth? The child's asking me this. They're like, I want the truth. I'm like, well, I work in real estate and there's no step 12. So <laughs> I'm sorry. It might not be the truth. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I'll take you to Disneyland when you get back in, back home or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, um. That's pretty hard to deal with on our end, too, because, you know, it's pretty clear that it's not going to happen for, like, that we see, but, you know, the kid kids want to believe the best out of their biological parents, so there's that. Anyway, so, where was I as far as the case goes? So, the kids are removed, they have weekly visits, and the plan set in place for the uh, biological family. Go. Um, after that, <laughs> we just have... Like the monthly visits, like you said before, from the caseworker, the CPS caseworker, the CASA worker, and what's supposed to be the attorney are supposed to visit foster homes. So they have all of those notes, like parents are doing their part. The part on foster parents is that they have to be available um, with the children so that these workers can come by. Mm-hmm. Um, and then most cases are on average about, I think they try to give it 12 months. And, um, within the 12 months is whenever the bio family parent, maybe it was the grandparents, I don't know, the bio member of the family that was caring for the child has the amount of time to do what they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. And in those 12 months, we just constantly, as foster parents, get all the visits from all the people. (laughs) Um, If somewhere along those six months, a family member steps up, they'll do a home study on that family member and then place the kids with that family member. So that's why sometimes the, um... The time in foster care is pretty short because they'll have like a grandma step up or an mm-hmm. aunt or something and they'll do a home study and approve them and the kids will go over there. So, yeah. Which I don't love sometimes because I've I, sitting in court waiting for my own kids' case to come up. I hear a lot of, I've heard a lot of other cases. One of which was like the mom who was being neglectful lived on the same plot of land as the grandma. They were in the like separate trailers. And so they removed the kids from mom and dad. And then placed them in a foster home. And then the grandma got her home study. And they placed the kids in grandma's care. Like, (laughs) why even remove them if you're going to do that? I mean, you're not taking them out of that influence of whatever it was. Let's say it was drugs. Yeah. It's right across the trail. You think the kids aren't going to go over there and be in that environment again? No. Like, there's stuff there. That's their place. Um, So, I just wish CPS was a little bit more, I don't know. Strict, maybe. Strict, picky, and diligent about, like, like, checking. Like, if we're going to remove kids I don't think from it's CPS, though, again, I think it's a state thing. Like, this is what falls into place. So, if something could be changed along state lines, and I am by no means saying that kids should just be taken from their biological families. That's not what I'm saying at all. Mm-hmm. 
But there are people out there that are the bio families that, again, put a band-aid on for a little bit. Or they know an, a grandma um, who can take care of them. And it's only for a little bit. And then that parent comes and take them back, takes them back. And I feel like, I mean, at that point, like, the goal should really be about the children. How is this affecting them mentally? Like, mm-hmm. there is so much shit they have to go through to be bouncing around. Like, our son Cameron, he went through... I don't know, what was it, like four different changes before he finally landed back with us? Mm-hmm. Which is insane that he has to go through all that shit. Like, why? Yeah, I don't know. Like, just be a little, like, work a little harder. If you're going to remove them, work to put them somewhere at least semi-permanent where you can see maybe a long-term solution. Like, try a little harder to find an aunt and uncle. Try a little harder to find a foster home that will take all three or whatever in the sibling group yeah. like they're they and I know that they're under like a crunch to place them but um sometimes they'll place they'll split up a sibling group of like two or three and then the next week place them all in the same foster home together it's like why like they're just getting settled here yeah like place them all here or place them all there like don't just put a band-aid and be like okay everyone go wherever no big deal you're just going to strangers houses um and, and just take a little more time or give the caseworkers a little more time to do that instead of just like rushing the kids yeah, into a place to do this within 30 days like that's again it's i think it's a lot of like state laws that just make it harder for everyone that's involved mm-hmm. um and ultimately it makes it the most hard for the child for sure yeah the, it's family reunification but mostly they're the court is worried about it's supposed to be best interest of the child but it's more more like it's money least, well it's like least rights violated of the biological parents like they're trying to not take away any like rights of parents before like it needed to yeah but which i get that i mean i just feel like there's got to be some way and i don't know what that way is i could look into it more but you know we had a kid in care that like by the time he got to us we were his third time in cp in foster care yeah um you know the first time he got taken away he got placed with a foster family and then like his brother his half brother's dad was willing to take him in took him in and then that dad let the child go back to bio mom who was having all these problems and then got taken away again and they put him back with that person and then the mom the dad let the mom come and take him and then they finally were like, okay, maybe now we should put him into a foster home. And, like, even then, like, we knew after because, like, again, we have really good relationships with the people that have been in our cases um, that he was then placed with a different brother. Who... No, it was, a, it, was a, it was a fictive kid that mom had, like, named this friend. Like, hey, say you'll take my kid and then I'll just come get him. No, it was not. In this specific case, it was that he had another half-brother and that mom said that they would take him that mom took him and then we were hearing that that bio mom was showing up to the school to pick him up when she's not supposed to be and also was inebriated no he told us the kid when he left he was like he's like i kind of don't want to leave but i'm excited because my mom's gonna come during the night yeah we're like what (laughs) yeah um yeah so like again it's just like, that's a whole bunch of stuff he had to go through before the age of six. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it just... I wish it was more actually about the child. Like, and I get it. There's been a lot of shit that have gone, that has gone wrong in the past. Like, 
biofamilies have sued or whatever else. Like, it all comes down to money. But at the end of the day, like, sometimes it does not feel like they care about the children. For sure. For and don't sure. get me wrong. There's also bad foster families out there. Yes. We are not one of them. <laughs> but there are some out there that think, oh, I'm just going to do this for the money. First of all, it's not a lot they give you. <laughs> um, it's what's really is more of like a reimbursement for what you've already paid for to take mm-hmm. care of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely bad foster families. And that's why I think I have another podcast another time, why foster care has such like a bad rap. Um, sometimes biological families will threaten their kids. Like if they're being investigated by CPS, like you better tell them this, or they're going to put you in foster care. Like it's jail or something. Yeah. And we're over here like, we're nice people. Like mm-hmm. we're going to treat you fine while you're in foster care. We're going to make it as easy as possible. We're not trying to steal you from your family. We're just going to love you and take care of you while you're in foster care, yeah. however long that might be. Um, and I, I don't know. If, and I feel that's how we were taught to be foster parents. And I don't know if that gets lost among other agencies or if some foster parents only want to adopt but the ones that we know in health we all kind of know our place like we I think it's probably just what whoever they're going with not setting the right expectations like I feel like our our agency did a pretty good job of making it clear and not saying it in the terms of like oh you're just a full-time babysitter that's our terms yeah um but saying like it we've always said from day one and we've had the opportunity to like sit on panels for our agency where we tell people like if you're not in this for the kids you're doing it for the wrong reason you know I know that you want to have kids I know you want to keep them everyone wants to keep them um but it has to be about them and it has to be about what's right for them and sometimes that might be you and sometimes it might be their parents getting it together or a cousin or an uncle or an aunt or a best friend like somebody else Mm -hmm. that's for them and sometimes it might not be any of those, but all of it's out of your control. Like, you have to just be there for the kid. Your job is to love them and take care of them, and that is it. Yes. Which doesn't make it suck any less when they leave. But yeah, it doesn't. I think we've had, we talked about this before. Where, like, that is the hardest part of foster care, but you have to kind of know that your trauma is less than the kid's trauma. And exactly. just put it in perspective and uh, kind of suck it up because you're an adult. And if you can't deal with that kind of trauma in your own life, then either get a better support system or... Maybe. Yeah. Like we hear people all the time like, oh my God, you guys are perfect. You're angels for doing this. I could never do that. How, you know, isn't it hard? Well, yes, it's fucking hard. Like, (laughs) I mean, if it's not hard for us when they leave, then we're not doing our job right. Like we have always said that. (laughs) Imagine if we were just like, bitch, bye. Yeah. like (laughs) (laughs) Peace. On to the next one. No, like it's hard every single time. Mm -hmm. And it should be like, if it is, you're doing your job right. And that child is leaving, at least for us, like. Our, every kid that left our house was, like, crying because they didn't want to leave us. Um, and that definitely makes it harder on us. But, like, God, can you imagine what they're going through? Yeah. Like, we had one group of kids that left our house. And we were told within a day notice. And when they left, we explained to them, you know, it's not our choice. We love you guys. We will always be here if you ever need anything. But, you know, you have family that wants to take care of you and that's such a wonderful thing and they left and got in the car with the transporter the transporter got down the street and these kids were crying it was two of them because the baby obviously didn't know what's going on but two of them that were bawling their eyes out do they not want us anymore they don't love us because they're feeling that again like jesus christ (laughs) they get taken from somebody else and they probably know that things aren't in the best condition they go somewhere else they're being loved they're being taken care of and then they have to leave 
And like I was pretty devastated. You were. We went inside and we we're crying. And she comes back <laughs> and she's like knocking on the door and we're pulling it together because we don't want them to see us that way. But she needed us to tell them that we still love them. Like, cause she wasn't sure like that we still wanted them. But again, it's not our choice. Like, yeah, that's like the shit they have to go through. And I saw this, um, video once where this girl was talking about how she was working to become a therapist. And she was like, you know, we as adults have a hard time, like dealing with our own emotions as a grown up. For me, it's 36 years old today, 36 years of experience on this earth, and still sometimes it's hard for me to deal with my own emotions. Like, imagine imagine having all the emotions that I have as a grown-up, but as a child who's six years old and has six years of experience of nothing, of playing and being a kid and not knowing, like, how they're feeling, like, what's going on, how to even say what they're feeling. Like, they yeah. go through so much more shit than we do. Yeah, for sure. There's the passion for foster care right there. <laughs> okay, so question time. If you could change one thing about foster care, or one thing about the CPS system in general, what would it be? That they get paid more. And so that they can hire more, because if they get paid more, I mean, I think everyone goes into it, whether it's being a CPS worker or us being foster parents, like, or a judge, like, and judges get paid plenty, so I'm not talking about them really, but... <laughs> Like, for specifically for CPS workers and foster parents, and again, this is volunteer for us, but CPS workers, you go into this job and you are absolutely in love with it. You want to change it for kids because you have so much passion behind making sure they're taken care of. At some point, you realize how shitty the system is <laughs> and that you can't do anything and you get tired and you're, you have like, I don't know, what I'm guessing would be like 75 caseloads or something ridiculous. You're doing it by yourself. You're having to do... You're having to see all of these 75 children in 30 days because you have to renew notes every 30 days and there's no one else there to help you. Like that's got to be strenuous as hell. So I feel like if they raised the pay for CPS workers that you would get more people involved and then the caseloads wouldn't be so heavy for them and then kids wouldn't be overlooked like what was the kid's name in the Gabriel show? Friend. Yeah, like he was overlooked because they have a shortage. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a difference in teachers. There's a sort shortage right now. Like, care about the people that take care of your kids. <laughs> yes, mine would be that they. Oh, I'm sorry. What would you change about CPS? <laughs> no, it's okay. I already had mine. Mine. Mine would be that they move kids less, or like have a goal of like we're not gonna remove this kid, or move the kid generally more than twice in their lifetime or something. I don't know, some some sort of limit on how many times you can go in and out of foster care. Yeah. Because the more that you yo-yo back and forth, that's a new trauma every single time. And then it's hard. For, I've I've talked to a an adult psychologist who has worked with people that were in foster care as children, and they just don't know how to form, like, adult relationships and, like, learn to trust somebody and, um, you know, have an adult relationship at all, I guess, so... When you, your parents are like your foundation for life, and when that kind of crumbles, and then a foster, par- foster parents crumble, and then uh, uncle and aunt crumble, and then a third set of foster parents, like, and you go back to your parents, and they crumble again. Like, how do you learn to trust anybody? I don't know. Yeah. Um, like, who's safe? Well, and even, in, like, even then, like, I could imagine that even if the foster parents are good, and these kids are moving back and forth, 
like our kids that left us, they felt we didn't want them. So they just, it's one more set of people that aren't taking care yeah, of them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Whether the foster parents were good or bad, like once they're removed from that, those people and like so what, never see them if again. If you had a limit, what would that limit be? Like two. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's fair. Like, okay, they get taken out. You guys do what you need to. You get them back, you know, but be aware if it happens again. Like, this is the law. On the second time, they don't come back. Well, either that or, like, CPS could be more careful when they place them. Like, when they first remove them, they could look for an aunt, uncle, grandma before they place them with a foster family. Like, there should be some kind of, like, more intense research before they're just like, foster family. Oh, wait, no, grandparents. Oh, no, wait, foster family. Oh, no, wait, parents. Like, they move them, like, five times in one case. Yeah, but then how do they deal with things like... If they are doing that research, like, okay, we're watching this kid, but they're still leaving them in the place that's not great for them. Where do they put them then? Yeah, I don't know. You know, so, like, maybe um, more emergency shelters, not orphanages, but where there's shelters where people are paid well to take care of these kids. And it's, okay, they get placed here just so that we can find somebody in it, you know, because that's the hard part is finding, like, well... You don't want them to go to foster But, like, the mom's going to know, like, grandma, aunt, uncle, etc. And they do those uh, home studies quick. Yeah. I mean, true. Also, I guess another thing for me would be, if I could change something, it would be that no grandparents get to take care of the children. (laughs) Because there's... I feel like that's so fucking unfair. Like, there's no reason a grandparent who has already had kids, who has already done this, who is old should have to start taking care of a two-year-old or a four-year-old. Like, Jesus. That is not fair for the grandparent or the child. I think maybe grandparents are okay, but the great-grandparents. We've had more than three kids who were being raised by great-grandparents when they came to us. Not being raised, but like being taken care of pretty much every day. I agree with that, too. If you're at grandparent status, I don't care if you're (laughs) grandparent, great-grandparent, great-great. I don't care. If the word grandparent is in there, they should not be responsible for taking care of children. Because that is not fair on the child. Mm, maybe. But some great, some grandparents are like 40 years old, though. Which leads me to another point, which is that CPS is so family reunification-based when maybe they should shift towards breaking the cycle of whatever it is, uh, whether it's domestic violence or drug abuse. Because I would think almost all of our kids came from someone who was also raised by someone who was involved in drug abuse or whatever. Mm-hmm. Think about it. So, like, they're just, well, like... yeah, of course. Like, and, and maybe that person wasn't raised by somebody who was abusing drugs, but, like, uh, like our kids' bio parents were drug addicts and then their grandparents were drug addicts, and then now they're being raised by great-grandparents. This was happened at least three or four of the cases, right? Three or maybe yeah. all four. Um, so, like, if we could break the cycle of drug addiction having young children raising them in a neglectful and abusive environment then they grow up on all they know is drug addiction and it's just like and i don't know if you can break that cycle another way besides yeah but sometimes you don't always know that cycle like grandparent could have been a drug abuser but they didn't have any cps cases is that what you're meaning only if they've been involved in cv cps no like think about any of our kids parents Yes. Were raised by addict parents. Yeah. It's so like, no, that our kids' parents had never got involved in CPS. But now they're getting involved by CPS. No, definitely not that they've all been involved in CPS, but that break the cycle of drug addiction, domestic violence, whatever, 
some kind of way, and I'm not saying adopt them all out to non-drug addictive homes, but like maybe have a better recourse for parents to have better support to not stay addicted to drugs. I don't know. Yeah. Because everything they do for the parents is so short-term during the case, but I think we all know that addiction is a lifelong it is. Um, problem, so I don't know. And I know that once the kids, if they are, if they go back to parents, the parents are supposed to have some kind of, like, action plan in case they do start doing drugs again. Um, but I don't know how well that works or anything like that. Do you even have any insight? I don't. I'm just thinking about... Do they even have, like, a, like, I know they have, you know, some systems in place for parents, like, classes and A classes or um, anger management or whatever, but is it an opportunity for those parents to attend rehab? I don't know. I don't know that answer. Do you? Is there an opportunity for the parents yeah, can, to attend? Yeah, can CPS, like, hey, um, you just need to enroll yourself in this rehab and you need to do 10 months and you'll still get to see your kid or whatever. Like, is that an option? I have no idea. I've never like, heard of that. Usually they'll be like, you have to do an inpatient rehab for 30 days or whatever. But then the parent has to also pay for it, so I'm not sure. So, I mean, like, also if there's better systems and places for these um, biological parents yeah, that are going through whatever they're going through. Like, I mean, sometimes I don't want my kids going back with, you know, certain people that aren't taking care of them. But I don't know what the hell they're going through either. Yeah. Like, that's, like, a hard balance to understand from anyone's point of view is... I don't know what they're going through. They don't know what we're going through. Like, <laughs> we're just all fighting over this child. Yeah. Which is terrible for the child. So. Anyways. That's all I have about CPS. Do you have anything else? I don't. I just, you know. Some some good. There's always good things and bad things. Like you said. In every job in life. Um, we've had a lot more experience with good, I think. Yes. And CPS generally, I think, is trying to do a good job. I just. It's a hard job to do, like, you know, you don't want kids to get killed by biological parents from being abusive and neglectful. But then there's also foster parents that have, you know, abused children and they yeah. end up dying in foster care. So, uh, I mean, they're trying to, like, toe this line of, like, what's better, what's worse, and, and nobody knows. And there's not one person that's involved, uh, I mean, in charge of it, so. I have a question. Well, I have two questions, actually. They're two separate for what your thoughts would be on this. Um, is there anything that you think that or that you wish they did differently for bio parents? Um, like I said, to help them. If they were going to require them to do a rehab in any setting, which I think would be definitely beneficial, then they should pay for it. I would think that would help. Because a lot of parents are like, well, fuck, I can't do it. Well, I guess I just don't get my kids back. You know, I guess I just won't go. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Provide, I mean, there's plenty, like I said, of social. Um, programs, they should help them get set up in those. Like, they're like, go get a house. Where's your house? Where's your house? Where's your house? Where's your house? But not like, here's how you apply for Section 8. Like, here's where you go to, like, the work Texas workforce mm-hmm. and apply for, like, a job at the lowest end. Like, you have to pass these drug tests. Do this, do this, do this. So maybe, like, a specific caseworker for the parent, not just yeah. for... Like, I mean, they have an make- attorney, but they don't have, like, someone that is helping them. Like, these people generally... Things, yeah. yeah, are, like... Maybe not always educated to the point that Veronica and I are. So, like, they don't know where to go to get help. But they're just kind of like, well, I don't have a car now. I guess I can't get to my drug test. So, I guess I can't get to my visit. And Yeah. I mean, if you're going to require that a parent go to parenting classes, maybe 
do a better job of providing what they really need to those classes. Like For sure. Again, and I don't know, I haven't been on that side of it. I don't know what happens in those classes. Like, maybe they are providing it. I have no idea. Um, but my second question is, what do you think or what do you wish was different for foster parents as far as be- being able to become a foster parent? I mean, because, you know, there's bad ones out there. Do you feel like there's any way to be able to weed the bad ones out? I feel like ours was pretty good because we had to do 30 hours worth of courses. <laughs> and then we had to do observation hours. And I feel like that's a lot. Like, if you're serious about being a foster parent, you need to do all of this and this and this. Which brings me to, before you answer that question <laughs> real quick. Sorry, I know I'm going off. Um, that the requirements for a foster parent's are way stricter than requirements for anyone that's involved biologically to the child and getting yeah. them. Mm-hmm. In case you did not know that, if you're listening, like they're <laughs> way different. It's so much, so, 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 so much more that we have to go through to be able to provide care for these children than what anyone does for a biological family. Yeah, just because they're biologically related, they um, you know, don't have to do a lot of the things for sure. Um, but anyways, what I, for foster parents, let's see, um, I mean, they already help provide us with, like, clothes, if we have an infant on formula that we can put the baby on wick, so, like, we're not necessarily having to pay for formula, at least after a couple weeks. Um, diapers, our agency usually helps with, but not always. Um... I, uh, as far as weeding out the bad ones, I'm trying, I have one couple in mind that was not a great foster family, but I think that it was there, they didn't have any kids yet, and they were sort of like fostering until they quote unquote got the real ones, um, and I don't know how, uh, if you, if that's like a question you can ask in an interview at a home study, be like, hey, how long do you plan to foster? And if the answer is just till we have our own kids, then maybe that's a big eh. Yeah. Um, because then you're, like, looking to sort of treat them differently already. Like, Yeah, for sure. Is there anything, last question, that you wish was different for foster parents when it, being involved with CPS cases? Um, I mean, I wish we they would ask us questions in court for sure. Like, we have a better insight about what's going on with the kids than CASA or... Even the CPS worker, they come see him for 10 minutes once a month where you live with them every single day. Mm-hmm. Like, how are they? Like, we write some notes for Jonathan's place and stuff, but if they have specific questions, like, how are their grades? How are they behaving in school? And, like, nobody knows that answer, just like maybe they could turn to the foster parents and be like, hey, give yeah, us but some that's insight. Costa's job to go to the schools. Yeah, but they don't know the kids as much as we yeah. do. So, like, no, if I it, agree it's not like written saying. down. They could, I, I wish that we weren't so afraid to involve us in the case. Like, they always think that go foster parents. I think that they think the foster parents are like, mine, like, I don't want to give these kids up. They're mine forever. I love them. They can't go back to you. I'm better. Like, and we're not like that. So we are not like that, you and I. Involve us in the decision making and it might, you know, make everything a little bit more. Yeah, I feel like the judge could interview the foster parents once. Like, let me see where they are. Because, you know, judges see a lot of shit. So I feel like they could look at somebody and hear what they're saying and be like, Mm, you're full of shit. Okay, I'm not asking you again. I don't know because the bio parents sometimes come up there and put on this huge front of like how great they're doing. I'm like, can you not see that they're bullshitting you? Because I can see that. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, I was going to say my answer to that would be that I also wish that they would involve foster parents a little bit more. Um, just like 
it could even be like a personal, like in the judge's chamber, like you get to talk to the foster parents about what's going on. And the only reason I say that is to your point of that we're with them all the time is this is a small sidestep of this is why you and I are huge advocates for our teachers because they're with our kids eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. So when we have to go to school meetings and they have to talk to us about maybe some learning disabilities they have or maybe some, if they're having moments of, I don't know, being jerks at school or something, like we listen to what our teachers say because they're with them. Like we're not, we don't know what's going on at school. <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like that would be beneficial to the children and to all the people involved in the case is if they involve the foster parents more. And also if they, I don't know, maybe put the foster parents um, in rooms with the bio parents every once in a while so they can have those communications because those bio families are thinking like, we want to keep them. And I'm sure that, again, there are some foster parents that do. And we might be thinking, God, they're not doing shit, but all we have to do is talk to each other. Like, yeah, we've had a couple of cases where we've been able to talk to the parents and we tell them what we do. We tell them how we take care of them. And they've been so receptive. They're relieved like, because, yeah. like, you know, they're thinking their kids are being abused in foster care. because the Or they think stigma. that we're telling them things like, oh, you shouldn't be with your bio family. We're not. Like, yeah. we've always been with our kids. Um, you know, it's so wonderful that you have a bio family that loves you and that you have us. Like, we love you guys, too. And you didn't know us in the beginning, but now you do. And, like, how great is that that you have so many people in your life that love you and want to take care of you? Mm-hmm. Like, that's always been our thing. And I just think that it sucks that sometimes, like, CPS kind of makes sure that everyone stays apart. And I get it. Again, there's always going to be hostile people in some situations or whatever. But mm-hmm. in the experiences that we had, like, every time we had the opportunity to talk to a parent, it benefited the case so much. So... Again, involve foster parents more, I guess, is our takeaway. <laughs> As a foster parent, that's our piece, but yeah. Um, anyways, yeah, just things that CPS can maybe do better and uh, our take on our experience with it. So it's a scary system to kind of navigate, but if, you, if you're if you a foster parent, you have it in your heart, you're going to be able to navigate that and uh, kind of cut through all the red tape to help a kid here and there. Yeah. And if you're uh, listening and considering foster care, just please remember that it's about the children. It's not about you and what you want. Good deal. All right. If you want to get a hold of us, we are on Facebooks as Real Life Fosters, yep. and we are also on Facebook as C and Veronica Realtors. Veronica and C. God, it was my New Year's resolution to get down our taglines for Facebook, and ah, maybe next episode. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's all I got. Until next time. Peace out, guys. <laughs>